the only God, the great I am. We all believe in our hearts and we confess in our mouths that there is a single and simple spiritual being whom we call God. Eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, unchangeable, infinite, almighty, completely wise, just and good and the overflowing source of all that is good. Now, I think it was given away in the bulletin, but where does that come from? Anybody know? Of course, the Belgic Confession, Article 1. Who wrote it? Anybody know the name of the guy who wrote it? Eh? What do you know? Guido Debray. I think I'm saying that right. Guido Debray. And uh, so those words, they come from the first article of the Belgic Confession titled The Only God. It's the first out of 37 articles penned by Guido de Bray's confession, which he wrote in 1561 while pastoring in the southern lowlands in the Netherlands, the area of Flanders, which later became known as the country of Belgium. That's, uh, oh, we have the slides up there. Sorry, David. Slide number one. The CR, there we go. Let's kind of, then we'll slip, skip to the next one. There, of course, is Belgium, but it used to be kind of part of the Netherlands. Anybody who's kind of a history person would kind of know the changes that were made. The CRCNA, or the Christian Reformed Church of North, North America, has adopted these confessions, and it's one of the three forms of unity, along with the Heidelberg Catechism and the Canons of Dort. Let me go to slide, the next slide. Yeah, the three forms of unity. Every pastor, every deacon, every elder, and I think we're going to talk about that today, office. Um, we're needing new elders and deacons. That's coming up. But every elder and deacon and pastor and leader in the Christian Reformed Church, when they sign the covenant of office bearers, declare truthfully and in good conscience before the Lord that we sincerely believe all the articles and points of doctrine set forth in the Belgic Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, and the Canons of Dort, we, that fully agree with the Word of God. In fact, when we take our profession of faith, we say, I do, and believe that they faithfully reflect the Word of God. All right. Well, until I went to seminary, I never read these documents. Maybe the Heidelberg Catechism, of course, and Catechism. I never read it. When I became a, when I, when God really came into my life, I actually read every other book that I can get my hands on, evangelical books that are still on my shelf today and I still turn to. I think of Neil T. Anderson's book, The Bondage Breaker, that really helped me. The Case for Faith by Lee Strobel, that was instrumental. Timothy Keller's The Centrality of the Gospel. These are resources I turn to when I'm kind of trying to form my message. But reading the story of Guido de Bray when I was in seminary kind of changed. It helped me to see the Belgic Confession in a whole new light. And it came first kind of through a book which helped me to understand it called A Place to Stand. I think I have that on there too. Wonderful book, a study of ecumenical creeds and reformed confessions. Anybody who likes to read, read this book. It's very helpful. 
written in 1979. There's so many nuggets of practical wisdom in there, and it just brings a whole new light. But I discovered a man. I discovered a man that during a great time of upheaval, he had a deep conviction and a passion for his God and for his people because he saw a God who is the eternal source of all that is good. My prayer this morning is that this history can inspire us with our mission to serve God and to love others. So first, I want to share why I believe it's important to hear the story behind this confession. The Bible is not just a set of doctrinal points. It's the story of God's interaction with his people. Second, I want to give a short history lesson on the time before and during when Guido de Bray wrote this confession and what it cost him. It cost him his life, and it cost many others their lives. Third, I want to tie this first article of this confession to the revelation that God gave to Moses in the classic story of the burning bush. Fourth, I want to bring it back to the Belgic Confession and the story of Guido de Bray, and then give an application that sums up kind of the, the week of prayer for Christian unity. I find that hard to say, week of prayer for Christian unity. But the theme is basically loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And I want to tie it into that. So first, when you get a letter from someone you know, from your beloved that you're courting, or maybe from a trusted pastor or a friend, someone that you, over time, in getting to know them, you begin to trust them. You begin to, to hear what they have to say. So, so when you get a letter from them, what happens? You want to read it. You keep it. You refer to it when you're struggling. And that is only born out of really getting to know the person. You read the Bible more when you have felt his presence. You begin to read the Bible more when you've seen God's grace and his goodness in your life. And you want to honor him and know more about him. And often that comes through our deepest and darkest valleys. That's when we see God's light shine the brightest. This is really what caused Guido de Bray to pen this Belgic confession. Second, a little bit of a background, kind of the bulk of my sermon. But it's, an, it's important to understand the context in which he had penned that confession. Confession. There was heavy persecution, and it cost many people their lives. It was happening all across Europe. Only 50 years before that, Martin Luther, that German monk, with a fire in his heart, lit the flame of the Reformation when he nailed his 95 theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. It was really only meant to spark a debate, but it actually became a raging fire. Now, considering our Dutch heritage... It seemed to be the Dutch in the Netherlands who actually lit the flame and Luther just poured gas on it. It was the Dutch theologian Erasmus, which I learned. He was a humanist scholar who first translated the Greek New Testament into Latin because he had to correct, correct the errors of the, the Latin Vulgate, the Catholic Church, and they were using that to just so many abuses. 
Now, when Martin Luther would go to Rome and he would see all the abuses, he would go home and he would weep. Erasmus would laugh and said, have another drink. That was the kind of man that he was. But God used him instrumental in what he did. Why is this important? Because it allowed everyday people, from farmers to fishermen to fathers and mothers, from the highest to the lowest class of society, to be able to have a true and proper understanding of the Word of God. It was actually a reforming backwards to the true heart of the Bible, the gospel. We wouldn't be sitting here today without what happened, without that story. In comes Guido de Bray. He was the Dutch pastor, theologian, who caught wind of the Protestant Reformed vision, and he believed so strongly in the God of the Bible that he would rather be tortured than to deny the message found in it. So he wrote the Belgic Confession right before he was, before he was arrested, and basically it's just the Reformed position laid out in a systematic way. It was meant to clear up any misunderstandings. It was a tool for dialogue to defend the faith against accusations of heresy, and it was to respond to persecution and to show that we're not heretics. We're law-abiding citizens. We pay our taxes, but we're going to follow the Lord first. We're going to trust him first. Article 27 actually declares the Reformed position that we do believe in a holy Catholic church, one that is grounded on the word of God. But the persecution it still raged across Europe and under King Charles and then his son, uh, Philip II. And at that time, the church was so enmeshed with the state and it was so mixed up that the leaders feared losing political control of the people. And so an edict was signed, was passed, that every man, woman, and child teaching anything different from the state-sanctioned teachings would perish if they were caught. And you know in many countries today that if you have a Bible, that's it, your life is over. That happens in so many places, we don't even realize it. I often wonder how we would respond if we got to this point of persecution. So back then, many in Holland believed that they would be completely wiped out. But the Dutch Protestants, they were stubborn people. And they wouldn't be intimidated by threats. They were surprisingly literate. And they could read the Bible for themselves. It was even remarked that even the fishermen in the huts in Friesland would be able to read it. I don't know why that's so funny. Maybe those who are priests can enlighten me on that. I don't know. Um, but Guido, being a pastor and theologian, he was also spreading this new reform. <laughs> spreading this new reform through his writings and teachings. But of course, he was eventually arrested and jailed. And so in that wretched, foul prison cell called the Black Hole, and we think of Paul when he was in prison writing his letters. Guido wrote a letter to his beloved wife, Catherine, to console her because she was so grieved and in despair at what had happened. 
But he says, my dear and well-beloved wife in our Lord Jesus, is how he starts the letter. Guido said, as awful as my situation is in, and he describes it very graphically, it's quite something. But he affirms that God is making good on his promise to comfort his heart. I have not fallen into the hands of my enemies by chance, but this is by the will of God. So don't be sad. This is my deep joy and gladness. You see, he saw his suffering through the faith that God alone is eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, unchangeable, infinite, almighty, completely wise, just and good, and the overflowing source of all that is good. He could declare with King David in Psalm 34, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers him. So taste and see that the Lord is good. He is the eternal source of all that is good. Now to the story of Moses. The first article in the Belgian Confession, it reminded me of that story in Moses. The story of the burning bush. I'm sure Guido de Bray knew it well. After 40 years wandering in the desert of Midian, and you kind of know the story when you go back that, that Moses came across his fellow Israelite, and an Egyptian was beating up on him. So Moses kind of looked both ways and he, he killed the Egyptian. The next day he comes back to Israelite brothers are fighting against each other and they kind of accused him of, of what he did. And then there was a call for his life. So Moses had to take off. He goes into the land of Midian, finds his wife, and then for 40 years he tends his father-in-law's sheep. And it was there It was there that Moses saw this strange sight of a burning bush that wouldn't burn out. And as he got closer, he heard the Lord speak, Stop. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. And Moses fell at the feet of his Lord. But then the Lord said, Moses, Moses, I want you to go face your people in Egypt. Face Pharaoh in Egypt, who's oppressing my people. Literally, they had a yoke of slavery on them. And it got worse before it got better. You see, God God heard the cries of his people, the misery, and it was time for deliverance. Moses was selected to make this happen. I can imagine that Guido de Bray and the spirit of Jesus within him also had that same passion as he pastored his fellow believers in the Netherlands who were under cruel oppression from the state and the church. So from that holy flame of God revealed to Moses, God speaks. Moses didn't think he had what it took. And so he actually debated with God. I can't speak. And then God says, who gave you your tongue? Who allowed you to speak? I'm sure Guido de Bray also felt fear and anxiety at times. I wonder if we feel anxiety and fear. And we feel like we're not qualified to serve God. So Moses worried. Moses worried and he said, but but what do I say when the people ask? um, Who sent you? What, What is his name? What do I say? Say that I am the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He has sent you, that I, that God, sorry, say that they're, 
The God of their fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, has sent me to you. Tell them I am who I am, has sent me to you. It's an interesting way for God to describe himself. When you look further, you see that the I am, just getting into a little bit of Hebrew, not because I'm smarter, I know it. There's other people that help me with that stuff. The I am is a verb meaning heia, meaning to exist or to be. Not as in to be or not to be. You know, do I live or do I die? No, God says I exist because I exist. And that I am, that I am in the third person means he is. And that's where we get the word Yahweh. Translated the Lord or Jehovah. The very word and the heart of God. The heart of the gospel, I am who I am, is Yahweh. It was revealed to the person of Jesus Christ, his son, when he became human and he walked among us. And Jesus said in John eight fifty eight, Truly, truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am, I am. You see, God is not bound by time. He's eternal. He cannot be comprehended. He's incomprehensible. He's invisible, but he lives in our hearts. He is all wise and just and good. And he is the overflowing source of all that is good. So as Guido penned this confession and he languished in that foul, dark prison cell, he had what? Joy and gladness. Because the eternal fire of God was raging in his heart. This is the heart of why Guido de Bray wrote this confession. It's to define what the Bible teaches in order to keep unity within the church. The document is not without its critics, but neither is the Bible. Neither is the Bible. In fact, I, I wouldn't read a confession like this unless I had a book, a place to stand to read it with. It helps. The application. You see, if we get caught, if we get caught in the details of a confession like this, and we forget to love God and others, then we always need to go back to the center, to the heart of the gospel. And we can do this best when we're supported through Christian community. And we support each other with our prayers and we get together. And we love each other and we spur one another on to good deeds. In the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. That's the heart of the gospel. And if we get called in all, if we get caught up in the little things and then we lose the heart. We lose the heart, what God had originally intended. And our love for God comes when we acknowledge his presence. We acknowledge his presence in our life through worship, through trusting him, and knowing that he is the eternal, unchangeable, invisible, almighty God. It's not a rule, but it's a relationship. It's a relationship that comes through a deep and abiding trust in God's character. 
And then we carry it out through our love for others. We do it through our prayers for others and our service. So we can follow his voice and his leading. And we do this with joy and gladness. With an attitude of gratitude. Regularly expressing thanks for his blessings in our life. And as we do. And as we get involved in our community. As I was kind of thinking of this. and th- You know, Guido Debray he was in this. And we don't really live in that time of heavy persecution as he did. But God has called us to love and to serve him. And we do that by getting involved. We do that by getting involved in our community. Whether, whether it's joining the fire department, whether it's volunteering at Cornfest or, or the Athens Library or whether Farmersville, those are ways, what? To meet people. To get to know where people are at. To get to know that people are in a dark spot when they don't have Jesus Christ in their life. In their life. And so when we come and walk alongside people, feel that darkness, we can say, I know a person who says, I am the light of the world. And when people are spiritually and emotionally hungry, we can say, I know a person who says, I am the bread of life. When people are oppressed and people are beat down and people don't know what to do anymore, we could say, I know a man. I know a man who says, I am the good shepherd who is eternally good and the overflowing source of all that is good. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us call the worship team forward.